Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Hello and welcome to the Keeper Cup Podcast. I'm Chad Young. Keep Paul here with me as well. We are on episode 97. The countdown continues. We're, we're almost there, Pete. Almost there. Yeah, it feels like, I don't know, it's been like 97 and 96 for the last like eight weeks, but we will get to that century mark soon. Yeah. I, all, all our listeners are like, we're just listening to a podcast. Like, yeah. we're not that excited about 100. We're like, but we're going to do it. We're going to get to 100. Oh, it's going to be nuts. It's like when teams celebrate like a guy's like 200th home run and you're like, yeah. like I'm happy cool. for him. Like, that's good. <laughs> but like, make sure he gets that ball back. Yeah. 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 <laughs> As a reminder, we are a proud member of the PitcherList Podcast Network. You can find us on all of your favorite podcast platforms. And when you do find us, subscribe, rate us, leave us reviews, let us know what you're thinking. You can also find us on Twitter at Keep or Cut. That's cut with a K. You can find me at Chad Young. You can find Pete at Pete B Baseball. Always happy to answer your questions, discuss your keeper leagues, your auto new leagues, whatever. Whatever's interesting to you. So hit us up. Let us know. Today, uh, we are, as always, going to start with our news and notes. And and again, try to take a keeper league look at that instead of just, you know, telling you that a guy's hurt and how you can replace him for the next couple weeks because there's other places to go get that information right here on the Pitchless Podcast Network. And We are also then going to dive into some players whose projections have changed. And we'll we'll explain a little bit more about that when we get there. But, you know, we're a month into the season now. I think that's almost exactly right. We're recording on April 29th, but you'll hear it soon. But we're a month in. There's some data that's come in and and projection systems. So if if you go look at any projection system, they give you their preseason projections. They also give you rest of season projections as the season goes on. And what those rest of season projections are doing is they're saying not what's the end of season going to look like for this player, but from this point on, what's this player going to do? And the reason we're looking at this now and and what we're going to focus on when we do that is guys whose projections have changed significantly from preseason. And the idea of that is, you know, anybody can get hot for a week. Anybody can get hot, honestly, for a month. Anybody can go cold for a month. But if a projection system is saying, actually, there's something different here, then there's something to look at. There's something to to be interested in. So we'll dive into that a little later. But let's let's start with some of these news and notes, Pete. And we're going to start in we're going to start in my hometown with my beloved guardians, because if, if they're not top of mind for you when thinking about young pitching, you've got this wrong. They should be top of mind for you. There was so much hype before the season around Daniel Espino, and then he got hurt. And here we are, late April, early May when you're listening. And they've called up, they've actually called up a bunch of guys. Like Xavier Curry got a look. Hunter Gaddis got a look. Peyton Battenfield got a look. Connor Pilkington got a look. But in the last week, they have called up two 
two top hundred prospects, depending on who you ask, these guys could be top 50 or higher. And I would say they performed well. Uh, we talked a little bit about Logan Allen last week before his start. And I said that I like Allen. I made a couple of comments. One was that I like him, but that I think that he might be a better real life pitcher than a fantasy pitcher. I also noted that he, he uses a lot of deception. And so his early starts might be better than what he settles in as, as the as sort of guys get used to him. We did not talk about Tanner Bybee very much. Uh, you sort of asked if Bybee would be next. And I said, he might be, it was, <laughs> it was hard to tell. Uh, turns out, yes, I should have said, yes, he will be next because he did get the call. Allen against Miami, six innings, five hits, one earned run, a walk, eight strikeouts in six innings. He got 17 whiffs on 86 pitches. And Bybee against Colorado, five and two thirds, six hits, one earned run, zero walks, eight strikeouts, 11 swings and misses on 91 pitches. Uh, 11, 11 whiffs on 91 pitches is not as good as 17 on 86, but those are both good numbers. Those are both excellent starts. And I'm, I'm not even like ready to give fantasy analysis on this. I'm just enjoying it. I'm just so happy to see like <laughs> the Cleveland pitching factory continuing to put guys out there. And, and those guys both just, they looked awesome. They just look so good. Yeah, this is a unique situation, right? Because on one hand, you're looking at the quality of opponents and you're kind of tempering your expectations going forward. Oh, right. For on one sure. hand, we've got we've got Colorado away from Colorado and you've got Miami. So it wasn't the best opponents, but like at some point you just have to kind of ignore that because you also have to factor in that this is the first major league start for both of these players for an organization that is a literal factory of high quality starting pitchers, and they absolutely delivered. And given the current state of starting pitching between the injuries that we've already had, and we're going to talk about a couple more, and just the low quality performances. I mean, we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that ERA around the league is worse than it was last year at this point, and how it kind of still is there. I'm going to pull up that number in just a second, but it, it's still not great. We, we continue to get bad outings. Like, this is anecdotal. I was all excited about Chris Sale, and then he gives his worst start since i don't know like 2019 i mean he was awful he already ruined yeah. my week so when you see performances from bybee and allen like this you got to pick them up and you just got to hope they stick um and if they do stick in the cleveland rotation like I, I don't know i'm not expecting them to be any worse than the level of pitching that we've been getting around the league so they're both holds for me at this point obviously and uh i guess i'm more curious your thoughts chad are they going to stick? I think Allen is more likely than Bybee, but like, are these two members of the rotation going forward? Because I don't know about you. I'm kind of done with Cal Quantrill and Zach Plesak. Yeah, I think the the challenge is the Guardians are not done with Quantrill or Plesak. And, and to be honest, they, they, they probably shouldn't be. Uh, and like, you know, right now, as of today, Quantrill, Plesak, Bieber are the original rotation members who are still around. Allen and Bybee are the other two. That's with Aaron Savale having hit the IL, Tristan McKenzie still on the IL, and they've basically moved on more or less from Peyton Battenfield. He's in the bullpen right now. Xavier Curry is in the bullpen right now. I think Gaddis is, I think he is back in the minors now. I'm not actually sure where Hunter Gaddis is. He should be somewhere. But anyways, Connor Pilkington, another name that was getting some some look, has been been let go. So like, there's there's a bunch of moving parts here. Both Savali and McKenzie will be back at some point, and when they are, they will be back in the rotation. So, if it comes to that, 
I don't know that the team is going to bail on Quantrill or Plesak. And, Ugh. you know, Quantrill moving to the pen might make some sense. But the reality is, like, you know, Quantrill has has been a a solid sort of low fours FIP guy. He's a he's more like mid fours this year, but it's been a pretty consistent like two win pitcher the last couple of years. And that's like a, that's like an average MLB pitcher, right? That is a that is a solid thing to have on your roster. And he's still a couple of years like he, he hasn't even hit arbitration yet. Right? So you you can't just you've got to find out some you got to keep him around. You just have to, because you need guys like that in the organization. Plesak obviously had that great 2020 and then has not been good since then. But this year, despite the ugly ERA, he has a 4.02 FIP, a 4.06 FIP, XFIP, and a 4.40 CR. Like he's been solid this year. And again, he's... He hasn't in arbitration yet. He's like, he's a few years from free agency. You don't want to just let those guys go. So you're talking about them looking for a trade, maybe moving one of those guys to the bullpen. What, what maybe further complicates this is that Bybee, Allen, and Plesak all have three options and Quantrill has two. So any of those guys, like they're, they're going to try to keep, they're either going to trade someone or keep, try to keep these guys all in the organization. No one's getting like DFA or anything like that. And what I don't know is from a from an organizational standpoint, do they feel that optioning Allen or Bybee is the cleaner thing to do than to tell Quantrill or Plesak, like, sorry, dude, have fun in Columbus. And, and I, I don't know. I don't know what they'll do. I just, I don't, if, if Bybee and... Allen and or Allen continue to look this good. I understand Quantrill, to be honest with you. He's been pretty reliable. He was even fantasy viable last season for, for yeah. stretches. So like Quantrill, and they they paid a lot. What trade was he a part of with the Padres? Was that? I can't recall. He was, was he part of the Clevenger? I can't remember. Yeah, Let's, I think he I'll was. This up. They, they well, made so many trades with the Padres. Right. <laughs> I think it was part of the, maybe the Franmo one as well. I, I can't remember. Like Aframo was involved in that one. I think it was the Clevenger. It was the one. Clevenger trade. So completed a trade on Monday that shipped Mike Clevenger to San Diego and brought Cal Quantrill, Josh Naylor, and Austin Hedges to Cleveland. So I mean, at the time, Clevenger had a lot of value. So they 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 paid up to get Cal Quantrill. Yeah. And he's like I said, he's been okay. Zach Plesak, I just I can't get behind it. I feel like we're living in this world where like 2020 has been the last three years of his career. And it just like when he had that cupcake weird season schedule in 2020, yes, he did well. Since then, if we go back to April 3rd, 2021, and and take all his stats up until this point, that's a 4.62 ERA. And the ERA estimators back it up. They're all right there within a, a, a hundredth of a decimal or a tenth, a tenth decimal spot. His strikeouts per nine is 6.56. He's just been awful. I mean, there, there's yeah. nothing about Zach Plesak that makes me say, like, if he's got options too, yeah, we're going to choose Plesak over these other two. I, for an organization that I wants agree. to win, like, come on. I agree. And I, I think that here's what I expect is given all of the arms at play here, and, and Gavin Williams is going to factor in here too at some point. Like, 
Gavin Williams is now in AAA, and, and the Guardians, there's a Guardians fan and analyst uh, at Gage, G-A-G-E-E-H-C, at Gage, E-H-C. He writes for a site called Everybody Hates Cleveland. <laughs> It's 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 a sentiment that Cleveland carries deeply, very deeply. But one of the things he regularly points out in on Twitter, and so I want to give him credit for this because he's the first one who sort of made me notice it, is Cleveland, at least for pitchers, does not treat AAA like a minor league level. They treat it much more like it's just a holding ground for major league pitchers who aren't in the majors for whatever reason. Like, if a Cleveland pitcher conquers double A, the organization certainly seems to believe they're ready. The only pitcher, so like, here's it. He tweeted this out a couple days ago. Triple A starts. Shane Bieber made eight. Aaron Savali made eight. Eli Morgan, who's now in the bullpen, made five. Plesak made four. Gaddis, who wasn't really a guy they were like anxious to call up, only made nine. Bybee made three. And Logan Allen made 17, but Logan Allen really struggled in AAA last year. And there wasn't, there, then no one got hurt and there was no room for him. So he's sort of the, the outlier here. Gavin Williams is now in AAA. What that means is if the Guardians need Gavin Williams, they think he's ready. So it could happen soon. But th- the point of all this is you've got Bieber, McKenzie, Savali, Allen, Bybee, Plesak, Quantrill, and, and Williams. Plus a guy like Gaddis, a guy like Xavion Curry. They've basically got 10 starters that they could feel comfortable putting in the rotation at any time. Guys are going to get hurt. Guys are going to need time off. Like things are going to happen. I suspect that Allen and Bybee will both pitch a decent amount this year, but will not be up nonstop the rest of the year. I suspect they both get sent down at some point, whether that's to limit innings, whether that's because somebody else is healthy, whether that's because they have a couple bad starts in a row and they just want to like give them a chance to get right again. They discover something they need to work on. Like, I don't know, but I I would not count on like at this point in the season, a guy like Shane Bieber should make what 25, 26, 27 starts between now and the end of the season. Something along those lines. He's made like six starts now. So yeah, 27, let's call it 26. I think that a guy like Bybee or Allen is more likely to make 15 more starts in the majors than 25. So rank for me, Chad, then I think this would be a good way to end it. So we know how to value these guys. Not that value is the wrong word. Cause there's no way I'm, I value, have any value for Zach Plesak whatsoever, but out of <laughs> Plesak, Quantrill, Bybee, Allen, if you were to just rank them on how many starts they're going to make between now and the end of the fantasy season, who makes the most, who makes the least. Quantrill makes the most. Like, I think that's, I just, I don't think he leaves the rotation anytime soon. I did see another Cleveland analyst who I, and I can't remember who it was now, who I, who I follow and who, who's usually does pretty good analysis. Cause I think it was this guy, Quincy Wheeler. You can find at Quincy Wheeler one Quincy and Gage, by the way, are both really, really good guardians follows. So if you're looking for guardians information, they're both good. Uh, he said, so again, a couple days ago, he said, if they're all healthy in September, it'll be Bieber, McKenzie, Bybee, Williams, Allen. That's what he thinks the September rotation looks like, in, you know, barring injuries. I personally feel like that might be, he and I are very aligned that in September it should be that. I don't know that Quantrill actually gets bumped. 
I just I think Quantrill is is they 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 trust him. They he's a rock in that rotation, and I think he sticks around. But you know, we'll we'll see, <laughs> I guess. But I think the answer to me for those is I think Quantrill makes the most starts of that group, and then the other three. Uh, it could be any order. I, I would put Allen slightly ahead of Bybee, but I, I don't know that I would put either of them comfortably ahead of Plesak. I think it could be anything. I hope Plesak is last. <laughs> I hope so, too. <laughs> I, I mean, I honestly think they should option Plesak now. I think the challenge is they would like to be able to trade him, and if he makes another solid start, you start to build a little bit of a, like, look, he's he's not an ace, but if you're looking for a fourth, you need starting pitching depth. You're Miami and everyone keeps getting hurt. You should be willing to give up a B prospect for a guy like Plesak, who has been relatively healthy, can throw a lot of innings, isn't bad. He might actually do a little, he might actually do kind of well in, in Miami in a ballpark where all the balls he allows hit into play aren't likely to leave. So <laughs> that is a good thing for pitchers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that, that's where I am on those guys. I think the bigger thing though is like long term. Allen, I I still think Allen's going to settle in as more a good than a great pitcher. I think you'll be happy to have him on fantasy teams if you've picked him up in a keeper league. I think there is a like if you picked him up for for a fab in a keeper league, he'll be a keeper for you next year. I firmly believe that. I don't think he'll be like a I've got this third round value, fourth round value for my last round pick. Bybee. I think could be a like fourth round value type. Like I think he's that good. Um, Bybee's start looked awesome, and his fastball oh, command was, was not what I expected. Like I don't know if you, I, I don't know how much of it you watch, but like the first inning, he looked super shaky. He was like spiking pitches. Like it was he just he was off, and then he settled in. But his calling card is his is his command, and his fa- like he could throw his breakers for strikes, but his fastball felt like it kept like missing spots a little bit. And that isn't what I expect to see from him going forward. So I kept watching that start and thinking like, I kind of think this is a bad Bybee start. Like, I kind of think this is what he looks like when he doesn't quite have it. And now that's, you know, that's a little much to say about a guy who made that good a start in his major league debut. But I actually think like there there could be another level there. Like he's just, he is that good. I'm super excited about Bybee. But let's get back to the news because we just spent a long time talking about Bybee and Allen. Uh, They matter. They matter. I'm fine with that. Joey Ortiz called up by the Orioles. The, the, the question you put in your notes, and I think it's a, a fair question, is is he a threat to Gunnar Henderson's playing time? So it's probably worth looking at both of them. Uh, Ortiz, I mean, why don't you start? What do you think? Do you think he's going to take over? I mean, I, yes. I, take over, no. But Gunnar Henderson's been so bad against lefties, he's basically just not playing against them. Uh, they, I'm, I'm curious to see what happens today. Because they have a doubleheader, and if I recall correctly, it's both against lefties. Yeah, Erod and Matthew Boyd. Matthew Boyd's yeah. a lefty, correct? Yeah. And he's not in the lineup against Erod. Is he even going to play in the second game? Like, he, they're not letting him play lefties lately. I know I know. in the Red Sox series, he didn't play against Chris Sale. And I, in my home league, I have him, and I've been able to absorb how terrible he's been. Uh, I, very for you know, James Outman, Nico Horner, J- Josh Lowe, like yeah. you name it, any weird breakout this team has, I just lucked out. So I've absorbed Gunnar Henderson. I don't think the Orioles can afford to absorb him right now. And I don't think they call up Ortiz if Henderson's hitting the crap out of the. Or I, I'm sorry, I don't think they keep up Ortiz 
if Henderson is playing against both righties and lefties. So I do think he is now a threat to Gunnar Henderson's playing time going forward, unless Henderson somehow starts hitting lefties. But now I'm not sure he's even going to get the chance to try. Yeah. I think the thing with, with Ortiz is this team has, they have Ortiz, they have Connor Norby, they have Westberg. Like they got a bunch of these guys who could fill in for some of these spots. And, and, it seems like they're going to be at least a little aggressive. I, I I look at like the scouting reports on Ortiz and I wonder if there's enough pop for him to really stick. And, and it's just, it's hard to know, right? Like it, it, he, he seems to have a pretty good bat. He gets the bat to the ball. He does not hit the ball particularly hard. And so I think that's sort of the, the question that that needs to be answered is like will he hit the ball hard enough he does have a a reputation as a very good fielding shortstop and i mean baltimore now this team is like so many infielders so many infielders right like henderson you really like henderson should be playing if only to get playing time he hasn't been good but he hasn't been terrible ramon urias is a solid player and and should be getting playing time. Jorge Mateo, who I was sure was the odd man out before the season started, now looks like the the best player on that team. American League MVP. I know. (laughs) Adam Frazier, who I don't understand why they even had on the roster before the season, has been playing well. Dude just keeps making it, man. You got to respect him. He was... (laughs) He, like... He was so bad. Actually, I'm looking now. He actually hasn't played well. He's hit two home runs. He only hit three home runs last year and five the year before. And so the fact that he has two is kind of crazy. But Ooh, even with those season. two home runs, like his, his home run per fly ball rate this year is 9.5%, which doesn't seem that high. Except the last two years, it was 3.3% and 1.8%. Oh, my so God. It's a huge <laughs> jump for him. But he still only has a 285 Woba. So I actually think I, th- this was my thought before the season. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reiterate it now. I was like, Adam Frazier just needs to go. There's just no reason for them to keep him on that team. Like if they want to have room for Ortiz and Urias and Mateo and Gunnar Henderson and potentially Norby and potentially Westberg, Adam Frazier is just in the way. See this Zach Plesak to me is <laughs> Zach Plesak is Adam, Adam Frazier. Frazier to you. Yes. <laughs> Fair enough. That uh, <laughs> I could see that. See, yeah, but you, you didn't have living in Seattle. I watched Adam Frazier a lot last year and it just was excruciating. <laughs> like sounds you know, like watching like, Zach, please. Yeah. <laughs> but you didn't have to go watch him. You didn't have to go watch him every game. Like fair. I don't and, have the personal think, attachment. No. And, and the, the, as good as the Mariners were last year, they had really big offensive issues up the middle with Frazier and JP Crawford, but JP Crawford, is like a joy to watch on defense. He's so smooth out there. He makes so many good plays. And so you're like, you know, he comes up and he flails at the plate a little bit. And you're like, it's okay. Go back to the field and do your thing. And Adam Frazier comes up and flails. And you're like, why are you here? (laughs) Please leave. I'm sure, by the way, that Adam Frazier is a great guy. I am sorry (laughs) for being mean to him. Adam, if you're listening, Chad doesn't mean it. (laughs) Oh, this, this is compared to Plesak, who, like, has injured himself doing things like punching the mound with his pitching hand, who broke COVID protocols in 2020 when he had a teammate who was literally, ha- like, re- dealing with cancer at the time. Like, 
I don't think Plesak is that great a guy. I think he's got some real issues. But <laughs> Adam Frazier, I haven't heard any of that. I'm sure you're a good dude. I wish you all the best. Please get out of the way of better players. I agree. <laughs> Just like, I mean, like on Henderson, I'm not, I'm obviously not ready to completely abandon ship because it is kind of a weird profile right now, right? Like he is walking an exorbitant amount and, and that has contributed to a WRC plus that is above league average. He's sitting at about a one Oh three WRC plus right now. So like it, and obviously the Orioles have every incentive to get everything they can out of him, but given the strikeout rate, and this is a guy who had strikeout issues. This is not an anomaly. This is like a continuation. Um, that has led me to be a little bit concerned. And I think I think Joey Ortiz could could certainly impact that going forward. Yeah. So let's jump into some other news. And I think we're going to try to, I'm, I'm going to try to sort of lightning round this because I think most of these are less, there's just less to analyze. So Logan O'Hoppy set to miss four to six months with a torn labrum. Is he a cut? Uh, this kills me because he was doing so well and I have him in a couple auto new leagues and auto new is the exact format where he's a tough choice. If you have a limited number of keepers, he's a cut because you're not going to keep him and he's not going to do anything for you this year. And you don't want to carry an extra catcher unless I guess you have an IL spot where you can just stash him, which is fine in a deeper league. Like auto new though, like he, I think he's going to be a very good auto new catcher. And I think it, on a team that's contending, I might try to trade him to someone who's not contending and like treat him like an elite catching prospect effectively. But oh god, it, I I don't think I can keep keeping him, and it's going to kill me because I'm going to cut him and someone's going to pick him up for like two or three bucks and sit on him, and I'm going to be so jealous all off season. Yeah, I uh, for what it's worth, I cut him in fan uh, our fan tracks listener league number one. I, to be fair, I already have Alejandro Kirk, but he was slumping. Ohapi was hot, so I picked him up, and of course he got hurt. So I had a basically a free keeper Ohapi, but given all the injuries on my roster and the fact that I already had a pretty good catcher, I decided to cut him. So Yeah, that's fair. Robbie Ray out for the rest of the season. I had sort of aggressively stated like two or three weeks ago on the show that I thought Ray might be a cut. So, right. And if you remember, I, I said that and you were like, whoa, that seems a little crazy. And I was like, no, it probably is a little aggressive. I'm just saying like, who knows how long he's going to be out. We don't have a timeline. I Like I'd be comfortable moving on from him. So if I felt that way before we knew he was done for the season, <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel differently now. Um, yeah. I think it's fine to cut Robbie Ray. Yeah. Next time we see him, he'll be, he'll be 32. He'll be another year removed from his his Cy Young season where he had the anomaly strand rate, the anomaly BABIP. Um, so Robbie Ray is definitely a cut. And I, of course, my, my odd new keeper cut listener league team, that team is so dead. Like it's not six feet underground. That thing is just dead. So come and, and enjoy the yard sale guys. If you're listening right now and you're in that league, like pick it apart, send me off. We have a roto and we have a head to head. No, no, no. The odd new one. Odd new. Oh, Oh, yeah, the, I the, the new keeper cut listener. Like, yeah, the, the podcast is very well in. Yes, got the four it. by yeah. four. That team's the, the, more the dead listener than any team I've ever had. That the podcasters league. Yeah. Uh oh, that's some keeper cut oh, domination going on in there. Yeah, we're we're first and third. Yeah. Daniel Port of Long Ball Legacies, another pitcherless pod, is second. Um, yeah. I, I caught him for a little bit this week. And I'm, yeah, I'm there, there was a brief period week. of time. There was yeah. a brief period of time there. Anyways, uh, yeah, so that's where we are on them. Uh, J.D. Martinez, 
which the IL with lower back tightness, no real implications here. Like lower back tightness is just one of those, I know you're not as old as me, Pete, but when you get to be as old as me, you'll know that lower back tightness comes. You have to just let it go while you can. And eventually you'll feel better, but it should only take a week or two. It's probably a, a minimum IL stint for him. I would guess the big question here though, is will Michael Bush stick around? Personally, I think the answer is no. I, I just don't think there's room for him unless they decide to bail on Miguel Vargas. And I don't think they're going to do that. Now, Vargas hit his first home run um, last night, and he's maintained good on-base skills throughout this this early slump to the season. So I, I think Vargas is the player to roster there. Jacob deGrom, forearm tightness. I mean, Ugh. this is this is the Jacob deGrom that you drafted, right? It was like, every once in a while, this is going to happen, and you just have to hope it's not the big one. Uh, for now, all you can do is wait. There's, not, I mean, there's, there's no other action to take there. Just wait and see. Bryce Harper could return next weekend. That seems crazy to me that it could happen already. Um, yeah, again, I don't think there's any analysis here. If you have Bryce Harper, you should put him in your lineups if he's back. Yeah. I guess that's, <laughs> that's a pretty, pretty good idea. Say. Yeah, I'd, get, I'd yeah. get him in there. <laughs> Verlander should be back uh, May 3rd, which I think is the day this is coming out. I think Verlander, today is Verlander Day, if you're listening, I think. He's facing Detroit. Nice soft landing for him. Again, Put him in your lineups next week. If he's Get like, him in there. Yeah. Rizal Iglesias, perfect inning with a strikeout in his first rehab appearance. Due to return soon. The, the real news here for me is that my CBS head-to-head league where I picked up AJ Minter because I was like, Minter's such a good reliever and he's going to start getting saves now. I was like, that league, I was like, dre- when, I, when the season started, I was dreading Iglesias coming back because I was like, I need Minter to help me out as long as possible. And now I'm just like, give me the reason to cut Minter. Cause like <laughs> I, I can't cut him while he's getting saves, but he has been awful. So yeah, he's been out AJ Minter. all like every team I have is just waiting for Razel Iglesias to come back. So I need this desperately. I have like yeah. three saves in TGFBI. I need Razel Iglesias back <laughs> so bad. Yeah, I, I hear that. Brian Reynolds extended. Is that bad for his long-term value? I think a little bit. I mean, I think that that Reynolds, I, I thought there was a real chance he was going to get traded. Now it feels like he's basically locked into Pittsburgh for most of the next decade. Um, that is great, by the way, for him. It is great for Pittsburgh. Like, I'm super happy for the Pirates fans I know who have, like, they deserve <laughs> to get a guy like Reynolds sticking around. So that's good. But no, it's not. It's it's a pretty minor change in his long-term value because you couldn't count on him being traded. You didn't know where he'd be traded, stuff like that. But it, it does sort of hurt. On the other hand, Hunter Green getting extended, I don't think it matters for his long-term value because I don't think he was going anywhere anyways. Like, Yeah, it was just a couple I, I think, arbitration you know, years, wasn't it? Yeah, and like, is it possible Green would have gotten traded like two, three years down the road? Sure, but I wasn't, I wasn't expect Like, as far as I was concerned, if you had Hunter Green... He was pitching in Great American Ballpark for the foreseeable future. Now that's just more yeah. true. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, we will dive into the projection changes. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat. But Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. And that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. 
the best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, welcome back. As mentioned in this episode, we're going to look at guys whose projections have changed in some some meaningful way. What we did, so let me let me start by explaining what we did here because I think that'll help. I took the preseason depth charts projections at Fangraphs. Now, the way the depth charts projections work is they average or do a weighted average, I believe, of zips and steamer, and then they apply the Fangraphs depth time or depth chart playing time to that. That playing time is, I think it's part of the roster resource section. And it's, it's basically, I I believe it's just a person being like, this is how this team is generally lining up and what I expect to see from them going forward. The reality is that doesn't even matter in this case, because all I looked at was rate stats anyways, to, to set the, the differences. But I took for hitters, their WOBA, preseason projected and their WOBA rest of season projected, right? So this isn't what they've done so far. This isn't what they're going to do later. This is, or what they, what their final season line will look like. It's what zips plus steamer thought they were going to do before the season started and what those systems think they will do moving forward after a month of new data was added in for hitters. I used WOBA for pitchers. I used FIP and then I took a diff and sorted them from largest to small, smallest to largest. And Let's start with the hitters, and I'm going to start by reading off the top 10 gainers. So these are the guys whose, whose WOBA projections are have increased the most since the season started. The first one, and his this, this guy's WOBA went from a 300 projection to a .324, so pretty significant jump is Justin Henry Malloy. Justin Henry. Justin hyphen Henry Malloy. Tigers prospect. He's in AAA. He's been he's been tearing it up. Uh starting to get some some auto new attention. Henry Ramos, who so part of this is you're gonna hear this like not all of these guys are all that interesting to talk about. Um Henry Ramos is a 31 year old Reds minor leaguer. Go get him. Right. So there's a reason you haven't heard about a lot about him. <laughs> Brent Rooker, Jared Kelnick, Brandon Marsh, Matt Adams. Is Matt Adams even playing? I wonder what would have moved up the projection for Matt Adams. That'll be the show stats. I guess. Adams hasn't played a major league game since 2021. He is, you know what's moved it up? He is in triple A. For the Nats. He's 34 years old. He's in the Nats AAA. He, in 70 plate appearances, has a 355 Woba. He's hit five home runs already. Whoa. So, How's he not on the major league roster? They stink. I know. Yeah. <laughs> now, his his projection has increased from a 282 Woba to a 298 Woba, which means they projected him from being awful to being really, really bad. So, you know. Uh, the next guy on this list is Buddy Kennedy. I feel like you're making these names up. <laughs> no, Buddy Buddy Kennedy is a real person. He is a with the Diamondbacks. 
He's an infielder, 24 years old. He got a cup of coffee last year, 94 plate appearances. He wasn't very good. Triple A this year, though, he's got a 534 Woba in 97 plate appearances. Um, he's like a like he's like a roster fodder type prospect, if that makes sense. Like he's and by that I mean like a, a 26 man roster fodder. Like he he is a guy who looks as a prospect like he belongs on a 26 man roster at some point in his career. But he's not a guy that you need to worry about for fantasy. His projection, though, is up to a 312 Woba now. That's not that's not terrible. Um, now I've lost count of what number I was on. I was on number seven. Number eight is Jorge Mateo, who we, we should talk about. Number nine is Adam Duvall. And number 10, tied for number 10. It's interesting. The, the group tied for number 10 is actually maybe the most interesting group. Cole Calhoun, who's not that interesting. Matt Chapman, who is. Taylor Trammell, who I don't think is that interesting. Jason DeLay, who's actually been sort of surprisingly good. And Josh Lowe. So it's an interesting group there of guys. And, and by the way, James Outman just missed that group at Tide for 10. So those are the guys who have improved the most. And I, I think looking at some of the names that I think sort of stand out here, Rooker, Kelnick, Marsh, Mateo, Duvall, Chapman. Are you... To me, when I see, like, these are all guys, like, they've been hot, they've been performing well, and now projections are buying in, and so that makes me want to buy in. Are you buying in on any of those guys, all those guys? Almost all of them, to be honest with you. I mean, at Duval, we've seen him go on hot streaks before, right? And we're really talking about, like, literally one week, and he's still weeks away from returning. So, Duval, I'm I'm not as as hot on, but... In particular, Brandon Marsh and Jared Kelnick. Kelnick, we talked a little bit about in a previous episode. I think everybody kind of sees what's happening there, right? He's being more selective at the plate. He's being more patient. He's a lot more, much more mature of a hitter. Like yesterday, uh, he's, he still ended up striking out. So this isn't the greatest example, but he swung and missed at a bad pitch and he didn't look stressed, right? He he took his time out for, for the plate appearance, stepped out of the box, took a breath, got back in, then took the next pitch, which was basically the same pitch and took it for a ball. Um, so Kel- like it, it's super anecdotal, right? But Kelnick looks like a changed man at the plate. He's not just, he didn't just cut his strikeout rate so far, which is like a hefty amount. It was like six percentage points, the amount that he's cut his strikeout rate. It was 33.7 last year, 27.2 so far this season. So it's over six percentage points, but it's the swing strike rate, um, that he's improved so much last year. It was worse than league average up around. I just had, it, it was like 14.4%. And he has cut that down to better than league average so far. So last year, I'm sorry, it was 14.7%. He's a 10.4% swing strike rate right now. And and everything for Jared Kelnick under the hood just looks so good. I'm buying in. The other one, Chad, Brandon Marsh. Like, I, <laughs> he he was kind of a weird prospect coming up, and he went through some, some hot and cold streaks. He's another guy who's cut down on that strikeout rate. So, I mean, it was terrible his first two seasons. I mean, it was 35% in 2021, 34.3% in 2022 it's a much more acceptable 28.1 percent and that's coming from a a change at the plate it's not like he's he's getting lucky out there he's making like more contact outside of the zone so like is it really that much better than striking out his chase rate is down from 31.8 last season to 24.9 percent this season uh the mlb average is 28.4 so he's He's chasing significantly less than your average major leaguer. Forget about how much better he's doing than last year. He's already better than your average major leaguer. And he's making a lot more contact in the zone. So his zone contact rate last year, 77.8, fine, close to league average. 
This year, 83.8. So he has like changed his approach. And now I understand the projection systems that much more. So of all those names, I know I should choose Josh Lowe the most because I was hyping him up so much. I love Brandon Marsh and I love Jared Kelnick. Yeah. Marsh is also, by the way, his hard hit rate is up. His barrel rate is up. Like his average EV is up. Like everything. Like he's, he's being more selective, making more contact and making better contact, right? Sometimes you make more contact and the contact quality goes down a little bit because some of that additional contact is bad. And it still leads to like more barrels overall and stuff like that. But he's actually like, even on a per contact basis, hitting the ball better. So it's everything with Marsh looks good. I do think the thing to note with Marsh is he does seem to be in a pretty strict platoon at this point. And so I am like where I have him on rosters. I've been, I've been sitting him against lefties in general. He does. I I think occasionally start, but he no, no. He's actually hitting lefties quite well. So it's it's just 25 plate appearances so far this year, but he has a 212 WRC plus against lefties right now. Uh, that means he is more than double as good as an average player. But I don't think that, I, I just don't think he's going to keep playing against lefties very much. Although if he keeps hitting like that, we'll have to see. So yeah, I but I agree with those guys. Those are definitely the ones I'm most interested in. I think uh, Jorge Mateo is the other one who is is fascinating to me because he became an obvious and immediate pickup in five by five leagues. Um, I did grab him in that podcaster league and he's been wonderful for me. But the power is is meaningfully different. He he is already like his max EV this year is 112.4. His max for his career before this year was 111.3. That was last year. But that's a, that's a pretty big jump. He is on pace for a career-high hard hit rate. He's on pace for a career-high barrel rate. His ex-WOBA, like his WOBA is 439. He's not going to keep that up. But his ex-WOBA is 400. It's not bad, right? It's like there, there is, he is, he's legitimately earning what he is doing right now. He is striking out less than he ever has in his career by a lot. Like his career strikeout rate coming into this season was 27.7. This year, it's 15.5. Like, he cut it almost in half. And that is, he's chasing less than he has in his career. He's swinging in general less than he has in his career. He's making more contact than he has at other times in his career. Like, it's all looking good for Mateo to the point that in my non-five-by-five leagues, I'm starting to wonder if I'm missing out on a real breakout here. Because the other thing with Mateo is, he's not yet 28. He turns 28 in a couple months. He's still young enough to be breaking out. He's still young enough for for a change to really make a difference. So I, now I'm like all I, I went from Mateo being a guy that like I would never have touched in like an auto new points league, but I would love to have in five by five in the past to a guy who coming into this season, I was like, I think he's the odd man out in Baltimore. And so I'm, I'm all the way out to then immediately once I realized he was playing being like, okay, well, in five by five leagues, better pick him up again. And now I'm like, Oh, what about outside five by five leagues? I'm mean, like, is this a middle infielder I should be going after? And so far I haven't, but I, I part of me feels like I'm going to miss out. Yeah. He, he feels like what people were hoping Alberto Mondesi was going to end up being, except the big difference is, is the improvement he's made in his strikeout rate. So last week when we talked about, Eno know, article on the athletic, that was the one six players who are swinging more or swinging less and why that matters. One of the most prominently featured players in that article as a legit breakout 
was Jorge Mateo because he's swinging less. That's resulted in a much lower swinging strikeout rate or swinging strike rate, I should say. And the results on contact have been that much better because he's been selective. So I am, I'm with you on Jorge Mateo, all three of these names, Marsh, Mateo, Kalnick. I, I think they're kind of by highs for me at this point. Yeah. And, and we haven't talked much about Rooker, but I want to talk about him too, in part because he was just up for auction in the Fangraph Staff League that you and I both participate in. Uh, so here he is. He's up for auction in an auto new. It is a head-to-head Fangraph's points league. I I needed outfield. I've, I co-managed with Niv in that one, and I he and I didn't really talk about Rooker, and then I started doing this analysis and was like, oh, he had a really big jump in his projection. I'm going to put in a bid on Rooker. And so I dropped a $3 bid in there. You didn't bid at all. Here are the bids. So we had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. We had eight of 12 teams place a bid on Rooker. Those bids were one, two, three. That's my $3 bid. Four, another $4 bid, a $5 bid, an $8 bid, and an $11 bid. So Brent Rooker just went for $9. And, you know, being that this is a Fangraph staff league, like, he didn't go to for $9 to some like crazed Oakland fan who just <laughs> desperately wanted to pick up Brent Rooker. Like Jake Mailot, who is one of the auto new writers at Fangraphs and a very good auto new player, like he went after him. So I, I think I need to take a second closer look at Brent Rooker. And I'm going to do that literally live right now because I haven't pulled up his page other than to see that his projection improved. And, and what's happening with Rooker, as I sort of piece stuff together here. Let's see. Strike First place I'm going to look, strikeout rate way down, right? It was 30.6 last year, 28.5% first career. It's down to 16.9%. He's also walking 16.9%. That's up from about 8.5%, 8.3% last year, 8.9% for his career. So he cut his strikeout rate in half and doubled his walk rate. That'll do good things. He's walking as much as he strikes out. His home run per fly ball rate is 34.8%. That does not seem sustainable, but let's take a look at how he's hitting the ball. 22% barrel rate. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah, if you barrel a quarter of the balls you make contact with, you're going to you're going to put up a high over well. fly ball rate. Wow. Yeah, he has a 497 woba, which again, he's not going to put up a 497 woba for the year, but a 449 x woba. Like he's been legitimately that good. Yeah, I think he is as with some of these other guys, he is swinging less in general. He's definitely chasing less. His O swing is down from 34.2 to 28.7. His contact rate is actually not up. It's more steady. And so his swinging strike rate is still pretty high. It was 15.5% last year. It's 14.7% this year. That gives me a little bit of pause. Like the less swinging yep. is is good, but the fact that the swing strike rate is that high suggests that the K rate's going to go back up. And in fact, the depth charts projection that changed so much, this is interesting. His preseason depth charts projection was a 30.2, no, sorry, was a 32% strikeout rate. That's only gone down to 30.2%. So basically the projection systems are like, eh, he still strikes out a lot. The walk rate was projected at 9.3%. It's now up to 10.8%. So that is a meaningful jump there. And then they had projected him preseason. Part of this is playing time, but let's take, let's see if we can piece this together. 
Depth charts had projected seven home runs in 175 plate appearances. Now depth charts is saying in 344 plate appearances, he's going to hit 16 home runs. So less than twice as many plate appearances, more than twice as many home runs. So basically what it looks like depth charts is saying is they buy into the walk rate improvements, at least some of them. They buy into the power gains. That's a that's a pretty nice little combination to have there. I'm intrigued. They also see an increase in BAPIP, which is probably tied to the harder contact that he's making. So I'm, yeah, I think I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to momentarily regret only putting $3 on him in that staff league. Although to be perfectly clear, I wasn't bidding $9 on him. And so I wasn't going to win him anyways, but a a moment of, of slight regret on that. And I'm going to look at him more closely where he's still a free agent. Cause that's, that's an interesting, it's just an interesting shift. It is at a minimum, even if you're thinking like, I'm not really a believer because of the swing strike rate. I think things are going to regress for Rooker pretty quickly. The power is not a fluke. This is is a guy who, I mean, he's 28 now, but he was graded out as a prospect as a pretty good power hitter, both in-game power and raw power. So at a minimum, if you're you're desperate for power, uh, he's probably not available anymore. I mean, the dude already has eight home runs this season, so he's probably picked up in your leagues. But if he's not and you need power, it's that part's legit. You, you may see regression in the batting average because of the, the strikeout rate spike that might inevitably come. That doesn't make sense. Might inevitably. It might inevitably it might. come. It yeah. might be inevitable. <laughs> um, but if if it does, I think you're still going to have some some pop there in the bat from Rooker. But he, he's an Oakland athletic, so you know, enjoy the 40 RBI. <laughs> 40 is not nothing. Uh, let's Let's flip <laughs> this around and go to the other end of the table. And here are the 10 guys who show the largest decrease in projected Woba for the rest of the season. Number one on that list is Ezekiel Tovar down from 329 to 311. Oh, this Number list two on that list is, yeah. Number two on this list is Gary Sanchez, who isn't even in the majors. Uh, Austin Barnes, Christian Arroyo, Aledmus Diaz, Joey Votto, Michael Massey, oh. Yuli Gurriel, and Tom Murphy. Now, a few other names that I think are interesting and worth talking about. Jose Abreu is a couple spots further down that list. Eloy Jimenez is a few spots further down. Why the hate on Trevor Story? (laughs) Is Trevor Story? Oh, he is on there. Poor Trevor Story. (laughs) Uh, Kick a man while he's down. down. Yeah. Um, And there are a couple like Addison Barger has has dropped. Barger? 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 I think it's Barger, actually. Addison Barger has dropped. and He was sort of a hot topic before the season. Ellie Dela Cruz had a 308 Woba projected preseason, which is pretty solid for a kid his age who with no experience. That's already down to 296, which is a little concerning, especially for people who thought like Dela Cruz could be up and contributing, you know, in April. But as I look at this list, I mentioned Abreu and Eloy as guys that are worth talking about. Tovar and Massey are the ones who stand out to me. And that might just be because I really liked them both preseason. And I was invested in both of them preseason. And uh, I'll be honest. Let's start with Massey because I've already I've already started moving on. I it, yep. he's been atrocious. So mm-hmm. in in seventy seven plate appearances, he has struck out thirty one times. That is a forty point three percent strikeout rate. Now that is bad. That in and of itself is bad. However. If you want your plate discipline to look truly atrocious, you should not only strike out a lot, but you should never, ever, ever walk. And he has 
zero. Zero walks. To be clear, that's not good, right? Appearances. No. Okay. Zero walks. (laughs) Just for funsies, I'm going to go back and look at his 2022 game log and let you know that the last time he took a walk was September 16th of last year. So it's still half a month left in the season last year, more than half a month, because last year was the weird late start because of the lockout, and they went into the first week of October. September 16th of last year at Fenway, the last time he took a walk. Before that, he actually, like, he went through a stretch, like, early September, the first half of September last year. He had one, two, three, four, five. He had, like, five walks in, like, a week and a half, two-week period, two-week period. 12% walk rate over that two-week period. And then has not walked a single time in, let's see, it's 77 plate appearances this year. It was another 55 last year. He is up to 132 consecutive plate appearances without taking a walk. And there are guys out there who don't walk very much, but you need to be hitting the ball if you're going to not walk. And he's not doing that either. So like, I don't know. I was excited about his ability to make solid contact. His hard hit rate actually isn't bad, but his barrel rate is atrocious. His max EV is down a little bit. His exit velocity was only 89.3 last year. It's only 89.2 this year. I thought that might improve based on some of the numbers we've seen from him and like the raw power grades from scouts and stuff like that. Like, it's just been ugly. He's not walking. He's striking out. He's not hitting the ball hard. And he's not a player with a lot of pedigree either. And I mean, you brought up the barrel rate. That was really the driving factor as to why people liked him. And I was like, whoa, I mean, look at the exit velocities, 13.5% barrel rate. Like, there could be something here, especially when you consider he could have a little bit of speed. But uh, no, he's he's been flat out terrible. He's a cut everywhere. Yeah, uh, it's, it's it's super sad. But I'll put him on my watch list just in case oh, you know what? I turn things around. I just acquired, uh, while we were re- recording, an, a $1 Alec Burleson on that team oh, yeah? that is absolutely atrocious. Pete's team <laughs> in the Keeper Cut Listener League. Uh, and I am now finally going to cut the guy who's been riding my bench since we drafted. None other than the just talked about Michael Massey. Yeah. Go get him, boys. Remember, he's he's out there remember, now. <laughs> remember how mad Tim was that you paid $3 for Massey? In the- <laughs> yeah, I really should have let Tim have him. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, we did say he's really a $1 guy that you're betting yeah, on the upside. It was just... At the end of drafts, I was like, oh, yeah. our auctions. I have a couple extra bucks, so I want to make sure I get my guys. And he did not hit. So Literally let's, let's and figuratively. Talk, so. Literally, yeah. Let's talk about Ezekiel Tovar. Tovar is – so let, let's let's go back a few months. Tovar's a prospect. He's He he got a, a cup of coffee last year, 35 plate appearances. They weren't very good, but it was 35 plate appearances, so whatever. He is 21 years old. He doesn't turn 22 till this August, so he was he was a kid when he got that shot last year. He's in cores. He is a very good defender, so he should stick in the lineup. Like lots of good things there. Hit tool highly regarded. Questions about his power, and I think you sort of were left with like, at least for me, if he can if he has a good hit tool and he plays in cores, he'll get enough power to be useful, and. Uh, maybe that's not true. He's, he, he has hit, he does have a max EV of 109.4, which isn't terrible, but his barrel rate is bad. It's hard. Hit rate is bad. He is 
right now striking out 32.2% of the time. He struck out 25.7% of the time in the majors last year in that brief cup of coffee. But like in the minors, he was always in like the low to mid teens, occasionally popping up over a 20% strikeout rate. But like, this is, this is not what I expected from him. I thought he would control the zone pretty well. I didn't expect him to take a lot of walks. He, he, he appears to be a pretty free swinger, but I didn't think he would strike out very much. Um, he's just not making very much contact. And so he has a 16.2% swinging strike rate. And it's, it's sort of like he's at least walking 5.7% of the time. So we talk about Massey had zero walks. Uh, we'll take 5.7. Sure. Tovar has, Tovar has five. So at least that's something. I'm having a harder time moving on from him because he has the prospect pedigree. He does play half his games in cores instead of playing half his games in Kaufman. That's a pretty drastic difference. And Massey is way more likely for the Royals to eventually be like, forget it. We're just going to go to someone else here. Whereas Tovar, like he's going to get a shot to play through this because he's good enough defensively that it'll, that it should be worth it to them. But goodness has it been ugly so far and like i have him i have him in an auto new team that is in opl where i'm debating whether or not i just need to bail on him because he's just doing nothing for me i have him in one of i'm trying to remember which one it is i have him in one of our uh listener leagues i think on fan tracks i'm trying to pull it up real quick he's yeah. probably a cut this there is, i'd imagine he, it's in our roto league and my middle infield in that league right now is andre Semenez. tyro estrada is my only shortstop eligible other than tovar and jazz chisholm i have it at middle infield right now instead of outfield which is fine i i don't know like we have nine keepers here and, and Tovar was going to be a relatively inexpensive keeper for me. And I just don't think I can keep waiting on him. He's just been awful. Yeah. In leagues where in odd new leagues, if I've got a one or two or even $3 Ekil Tovar, I'm, I'm holding. He's just 21 years old, right? He's not turning 22 until August. So, I mean, he yeah. is literally a kid and it's too early for me to give up, give up on him if I have him for that cheap. But our, in our fan tracks leagues, just for some perspective, we don't have a lot of bench spots. And so if you have somebody who's just not contributing, and, and for 2023, I'm not holding out a lot of hope for Ezekiel Tovar. So in any redraft or anything like that, I'm cutting him. But I have him in the Fangraph staff league uh, where I'm off to a terrible start, but I think things are going to start turning around there for me. I'm not playing him. He's on my bench for what it's worth, yeah. but I, I, I'm not ready to cut him just yet. He's batting ninth for a terrible Colorado lineup and he's 21 years old. So I'm going to cut him some slack if he's more expensive than that and you need the money. Like if you've got a five, six, I don't know. I'm sure there's some like $8 Ezekiel Tovars out there due to inflation in some some leagues where he went up for auction this offseason. So that's when I'm, I'm cutting him because I just don't, I don't think there's going to be much value this year. Sad, but true. Let's talk about a White Sox and a former White Sox. Uh, Eloy Jimenez had a 351 projected Woba preseason. It's down to 340 now. <sighs> Jose Abreu, 347. It is down to 335. I, I want to talk about Abreu first only because, like, I, I was out on Abreu before the season. He had no power last year. He's... I'm trying to, I want to confirm. Yeah, he is 36 years old. I was about to call him 37. He looks like he's 47. 
um, <laughs> the way he's playing right now, but he is old. He like uh, his exit velocity. So like last year, even with no power, his exit velocity was actually decent. It is way down this year. 92.2 last year, 91.2 first career, 87.2 this year. His hard hit rate is way down. His barrel rate, which was already down, is at a career low. He is striking out at a career high rate and walking at a career low rate. Like everything looks bad for Jose Abreu. And before the season, people were like, oh, he's going to have the Crawford boxes, damn it, blah, blah, blah. It's like he went from the like one of the best power parks in baseball to another place that should be good power park for him. And I just, I wasn't interested. I don't think you should have been interested. And at this point, if there's like an interesting first baseman or corner infielder or you till bat on the wire, like I'd be, I'm out, I'm done. Especially true in keeper leagues where like you're really going to keep a 37 year old Jose Abreu next year. Like, no dude's done. It's, it's hard to keep uh, any first baseman that doesn't hit for power. And he has no home runs right now. I mean, this is why they named a country after you, man. Like I I, I looked at him last year and I was like, (laughs) it looks like a fluke. Like it looked, it it seriously to me looked like a fluke that he did not hit for power last year. His home run to fly ball rate was 9.6%. First career is 18.3. Like, and then you you brought up the exit velocities and like, yeah, his launch angle was down, but he was still hitting more fly balls than usual. He he had an above average uh, fly ball rate last season, but now you look at this year and it's like, okay, he's still not hitting for power, but like the fly ball rate has gone down. The average exit velocity, like you brought up has gone down the hard hit percentage. That's way down. He was at 51.8 last year. Again, I thought the power outage was a total fluke. Now it's at 38.3. So even if last year was a little bit, what's that? He was going the other way a lot more last year. Like he just wasn't pulling the ball. Right. And that's fair. That's 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 something I thought they could fix. Sure. Yeah. But I don't think that's a a good point. To me, that was a bat speed thing. To me, that was a 35, 36 year old guy who just is not catching up to pitches the way he used to. And so even when he hits them hard, he's not hitting them hard to the parts of the park where the ball can exit. And even then, like if, if that was, just completely the case you'd, you'd think the strikeout rate would go up but it it went way down it was his lowest strikeout rate of his career last year at 16.2 like so and so it's like well was he taking a little bit off just to make more contact well no because he was hitting the ball 93 miles an hour so it, it was just super weird to me but I think without question obviously this year things have just gone downhill and uh, I, I don't view him as a buy low I'd have a hard time cutting like I this, this is why that, my fan tracks listener league team two I won last year and this year it's like every dude who I took a gamble on has just been garbage. <laughs> and Jose Abreu is killing me in that league. So yeah. I, am I ready to cut him? No. Cause the alternatives aren't great, but a, a first baseman corner infielder, it doesn't hit for power. Good luck. Yeah. Let's go back to his old teammate, Eloy Jimenez. Jimenez, <laughs> his preseason projection was 351. It's down to 340. I think one thing to note here is Abreu going from 347 to 335 is a pretty big shift for a corner infielder. That's like solid to not quite good enough. Whereas for an outfielder going from 351 to 340 is going from really good to still pretty good. Like, so it's there, there, there's a difference here where Abreu's projections now do not look exciting to me. Eloy's look down, but still okay. But another guy, he is striking out a ton. He is still drawing walks. 
which is good. His home run per fly ball rate is way down. His exit velocity is down. His barrel rate, though, like he still has a 12.5% barrel rate. That's down for him, but that isn't bad. Um, he's hitting the ball hard at a decent clip. I'm not actually entirely sure. Like his ex-woba is just 272. So despite the barrels and the hard hit rate, like there's some other issues here. The biggest one seems to be his launch angle, which is 0.9. That's, that's not good. Um, no. And what's weird about this though, is like his, his ground ball rate is up. His fly ball rate is up. He has not hit a single infield fly ball this season. Those aren't necessarily bad things. The challenge he's running into is his line drive rate has cratered. So going into last season, his career line drive rate was 19.5%. Last year it was 16.5 and this year it's 10.4. I I tend to believe that extreme line drive rates are noise. Like I, most guys end up with somewhat middling average line drive rates. There are a few players out there who are capable of like really carrying a high line drive rate. There's a few guys who really carry low ones, but like, I, I think I look at Eloy and what I see is he's not hitting any line drives, but he's also not hitting pop-ups. He's hitting fly balls and ground balls. Like it's not like he, he shifted everything down. And so now he's not hitting any fly balls. And so he's not hitting line drives because he's hitting 70% grounders. Like his ground ball rate is higher than you'd like. His fly ball rates may be lower than you'd like for a guy who's as strong as he is, but like, it's not a big shift overall. And so what I expect to see happen with him is fewer fly balls, fewer ground balls, more line drives the rest of the way. And then the question is, can he figure out the strikeouts? And I don't know. I mean, he's, he is chasing at a higher rate than he ever has in his career and swinging in the zone at a lower rate than he ever has in his career. That's not a great combination. And as we talked about last week, those are things that can stabilize kind of early. And so I'm, I'm looking for a change in approach from him, right? Like I'm looking to see a, you know, Scott Chu who, who, works over at pitcher list with us talks a lot about rolling charts, looking at a guy's, you know, 15 day rolling average for key statistics. And with alloy right now, one of the big things I'm looking at is, is he trending the right direction with his O swing and his Z swing? Is he, is he being aggressive in the zone and not out of zone right now? The O. My dog is barking at me uh, right <laughs> now. Fan of his O swing. Come here. Come here. Uh, right now, his O swing is trending the right direction, but his Z swing is also trending down. Now, maybe that's okay. Maybe more selective will be good for him. But there's a positive trend there. I think the line drives will come back, and so I am still cautiously optimistic about Eloy. But boy, it's been ugly so far. It has been. Uh, I'm very invested in Eloy. I, the, the sample size we have to keep in mind is a little bit limited because he has served already in IL stint, which is not to say that as an excuse for him because we can expect at least one or two IL stints from Eloy Jimenez. We've we've come to learn. I, I trust the bat. I trust that we'll end up with some decent homer and RBI numbers. 
Um, they've, they've been beat up. The, the White Sox have been one of the biggest disappointments in the league. I don't know how high the expectations were going into the season anyway, but I, I like to think that once Tim Anderson comes back, things will begin to stabilize a little bit for them, especially for that middle of the order. But it, not that this is an excuse necessarily. I mean, I guess it is, but Eloy has faced some some tough pitching so far. He's he's had two series against the Rays. He's faced Toronto. He's faced Philly's rotation. Baltimore's playing well this year, and he started his campaign against Houston. So, like, th- those are some pretty tough staffs to face. It's not like it's going to get much easier. Most teams in Major League Baseball have pretty good pitching. But, yeah, you know, like, it, when it's a sample this small, I don't mind looking at what the schedule's been like, and I, I, I hope that we'll begin to see some more out of Eloy. I, I'm not... I'm not as disenchanted with Eloy as I am Jose Abreu or Michael Massey or uh, any of these other names that we've talked about here. Yeah, I, that that that's that's where I am as well. That makes a ton of sense. So let's jump over to the pitching side. Actually, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll jump over to the pitching side of things. And we'll try to move quickly through the pitchers. All right, welcome back. Uh, we talked about hitters whose projections have changed for pitchers. As a reminder, I looked at FIP from depth charts projections, comparing where they were preseason to where the projection is for the rest of the season. Now this one, I'm not going to read through the top tens because there's so many pitchers out there. And a lot of them are like, like you don't care that Justin Garza's FIP went from a 5.40 to a 4.76. It just doesn't matter. Uh, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to start with some relievers who have the biggest improvements in their FIP. So decreases in their projected FIP. And then we'll go to a couple starters. So, the biggest one, and this is by far the biggest one of any of the names I think are interesting, Araldus Chapman from a 3.84 down to a 3.29. The other relievers who made a big jump, Kenley Jansen and Alexis Diaz. Now, my take on this in general is that if you draft, regardless of what you did with Jansen or Diaz, the fact that they are projected to be better right now is just a thing that like, if you drafted them, it's great. If you didn't, it doesn't matter because they're closers. And if you're closer, you're a closer. And that's that. Chapman, however, I, I was out on Chapman. So I I, I took my, my victory lap at Jose Abreu like 30 seconds ago. And now I'm going to, I was, I thought Chapman was done. I was all in on Scott Barlow. I thought the prices on Barlow were too low given concerns that Chapman would somehow supplant him. And here we are a month into the season and Araldis Chapman is striking out 44.7% of hitters. That would be the highest strikeout rate he's had since 2020. And other than 2020, the shortened season, he hasn't been over 44% since 2014. So a huge return to strikeout stuff for him. His velocity is up two miles per hour. And and perhaps most importantly, so this was a big thing for him, was like his walk rate had just been going crazy. He had no control. We're like, velocity's down, walk rate's out of control. He has no control at all. Like maybe he's hurt. Maybe he's just going to walk everyone. His walk rate is 7.9% right now. That's a career low for him. Like this is, we are, as of right now, like if this holds up, if he puts up this strikeout rate and this walk rate the rest of the year, which, you know, not a given. But if he does that, this will be the best season of his career at 35 years old. So, yeah, I totally missed on Chapman. And I don't know if he's, like, he has one save and two holds so far. 
The Royals do not create a lot of save opportunities. Scott Barlow, who, as I said, I, I expected to hold the closer's job because I thought he was good enough, does have three saves and only one blown save, but he also has a 6.75 ERA. Uh, he he has inherited Araldis Chapman's control issues. He walked 7.6% of hitters last year. It's up to 16.3%. It's like Chapman, now I do think Chapman might take over that job. Uh, Barlow will will presumably get right at some point, but I don't know. Maybe the Royals won't win enough games for it to matter, especially if they're sharing the job. But Chapman's a factor there. I really thought he wouldn't be, and I was I was dead wrong. Well, as we, as we know, this shouldn't be the case, but Chapman is going to have a lot more value at the trade deadline for the Royals if he is saving games. So I, I think they're already at a point, obviously, this season where that's probably what they're going to start thinking about. And it ended up, it was a great gamble. I think more teams should do this. Like, yeah, Aroldis Chapman might be washed, but if he's not, you know, we're going to get a, a prospect for him at the deadline that, you know, for just spending money, basically, just being willing to commit to him. He has given up earned runs in his last two appearances. Not that I'm like super concerned about that, but, you know, when he was as bad as he was last season, that I guess is something to watch. And until he does actually supplant um scott barlow as the closer in kansas city uh, the fantasy value is a little bit limited like i like him in Fangraphs points because that i, I got him for four dollars in that league because i should have spent more money just kind of like a dart throw and he's been really good i mean he's averaging over nine and a half points per per inning so like that's that's elite but unless he takes the closer's role in five by five it's still like limited value but i guess the point is he's way more likely to do that now than he was at the beginning of the season and if he does do it then now we're talking about one of the 10 five most valuable relievers in the sport even if kansas city gets limited opportunities so yeah i'm interested in chapman now definitely yeah i'm uh i'm actually i had a team reach out to me in my cbs league about my stashed edwin diaz i have a Edwin Diaz, I drafted for $10 just to stash for this year to hold for next year. He he offered me his Jock Peterson for Diaz, but he also has Chapman and we, we only carry three relievers and he has four. And I am thinking I might offer him Edwin Diaz to stash in exchange for Chapman since he's got an excess reliever anyways, but... Let's uh let's take a look at some of the starting pitchers who have had improvements in their projection. The biggest improvement among sort of an interesting starting pitcher is Taj Bradley. He was projected for 4.34 FIP before the season. That's down to 4.02. Some other names, Zach Gallen down from 3.56 to 3.30. Mackenzie Gore, 4.22 to 3.96. Matt Strom, 4.06 to 3.82. And Sonny Gray, 3.85 to 3.61. At some level, Gray and Gallen in particular are sort of like if you like they were probably drafted everywhere anyways you expected things from them this isn't fundamentally changing their value they're just they're doing well strom is and actually bradley as well as sort of like he was a prospect now he's pitched in the majors and pitched successfully of course his projections getting better that makes sense i don't think there's a ton to talk about with taj bradley that we haven't already talked about he's good go get him if you can gore and strom are the two interesting ones here where they both went from being projected at over a four FIP to under a four FIP. They've both pitched well. Um, and they're very different, right? One is like a, a, a post hype sleeper with elite pedigree and gore. And the other is like 
a guy who I always thought could be a really good reliever and is all of a sudden breaking out with Philly as a starter. Are you buying either or both of those guys? So um, I'll start with Gore. I'm selling high on Mackenzie Gore. And that Ooh, sucks to say because I'm, I'm really excited that Mackenzie Gore is pitching well. Um, he feels like Jared Kelnick on the pitching side. But keep in mind, he had like a, a 50, 60 inning pitch stretch last season where it was like just as dominant. And unfortunately, it really doesn't look that different because he is still an over 60% four-seam fastball guy. And so, like, as the season goes on, is he going to be able to maintain these numbers throwing so many fastballs? I, it didn't last year. And so on a team like the Nationals, where already it's it's not a very exciting team context, there's not going to be a lot of wins there. Um, throwing 60% fastballs, is Mackenzie Gore going to be able to continue to go six innings into starts? I don't know. So I want to be excited if I, in my long-term leagues, if I've got him, you know, like an odd new, if I've got a two, $3 Mackenzie Gore, sure. I'll ride that out unless I, I, I can really get somebody to buy high on him. But I think he's a pretty good sell high right now. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I, I've been actually trying to buy in Gore and Strom were free agents in some of my leagues. And so I've been sort of trying to buy in cheap where I can, um, I'm more excited about Gore than you are, I think, because of that pedigree and because I think that given an opportunity to work through things, I think he can be really good. Strom has, he changed his pitch mix and like, I don't know, part of me doesn't want to believe because I just like, this is a guy, he, he has never been, he has shown flashes of being a very good reliever and nothing more than that for seven years, eight years now, seven years. But like, I don't know. You look at what he's doing right now and what part of it don't you believe? Like the strikeout rate is legit. He's like, he's not walking guys. There's nothing in here that you're like, eh, this piece doesn't look real to me. It just feels like the bottom might fall out at some point. Last season, early in the year, Paul Blackburn was just unhittable but you were like nothing here looks real none of this looks real so like ride it while you can but as soon as it turns sour jump ship and like i i'm not looking at strom and being like this is all ridiculous it's like i don't know he made some changes and everything here looks legit yeah i strom was a good reliever for the red Sox as well i mean like all relievers he had his ups and downs but he was a guy i was sad to see go i uh, i mean he's kind of a player who at this point like if you've got him, you're holding on to him, and I don't think you're going to be able to get much in a, in return for a trade because I don't think other managers in the league want to buy high on a 31-year-old career reliever who seems to be pitching well. But you're right when you look under the hood. I mean, the swing strike rate is the best of his career by far. Um, I am a little yeah. concerned. Despite moving out of the bullpen, right? You'd think right. like you move out of the bullpen and that stuff That's going to go, no, yeah, because you're not throwing as hard. But he's still not really going deep into starts. And this is this is maybe not really something to worry about, I guess. But when the Phillies get healthy, if, you know, Painter gets called up or, or whatever it ends up being, like, is he the guy who could get bumped? Because Bailey Falter's pitching pretty well. And then you look at the rest of that rotation, like Taiwan Walker's a starter. Zach Wheeler's there. And, and obviously, Aaron Nola's not going anywhere. So is his job a little bit at risk? If not for performance and people returning, just more of like an innings management situation. I could kind of see that being the case because he is on pace to pitch more innings than he ever has before. So, I, but again, 
what do you do with that? You're not going to drop him because of that. And I don't think he's really a guy you can trade unless you attach him to somebody with a little bit more name recognition. So you're kind of just riding this out with Strom. And I'm with you. I mean, under the hood, it looks like it could be pretty legit. I will say, though, Falter has a 4.50 ERA, 4.88 XERA, 4.74 FIP. Taiwan Walker has a 4.97 ERA, 4.47 XERA, 5.24 FIP. Those I just don't see guys, Taiwan getting bumped, even if he's the worst of the five. I, you know, I wouldn't think so. I just, especially they, like they just signed him to like a eighteen million dollar a year contract for four years. Yeah, right. So like they can't, they can't send him down. But he's clearly the worst pitcher in their rotation, and I, I, I hate to say this because like things could change, but they, they paid such a premium on a career year last year from Walker instead of paying for what he was likely to be. And I don't think Walker is better than what we've seen. Like he's should say he's a little bit better than what we've seen. I don't think he's meaningfully better than what we've seen. And if Strom keeps up what he's doing, uh, this isn't quite as extreme as like Allen or Bibby or Allen or Bybee versus Plesak, but it's the same sort of thing where you're like, yeah, I get that you have certain expectations for, you know, 160 innings out of Taiwan Walker, but like dude's your worst pitcher and he's going to keep being your worst pitcher because that's just who he is. And he, that, that is a, two of the guys we've talked about um, in the show and Walker is not like, we're talking about him just because of his impact on Strom, but Walker and Abreu are both guys who were like, they were signed this off season for contracts that I just think, those teams are going to regret those contracts probably already. So for sure. I, I will say the name real quick. I know we're up against mm-hmm. it. The name I forgot to mention yeah. is Ranger Suarez is due back within the next few weeks. He's already made a rehab appearance. Yeah. He's about to make another. So they're going to have to make a decision soon. Yeah. So real quick, going to the other end of the starting pitcher of pitchers, guys whose FIP projections have gotten a lot worse. There's only really one reliever here worth chatting about, and that's Danny Jimenez of the A's. I thought he'd be in the closer mix. He's been very bad. He's probably out of the closer mix, at least for now. Not a lot to talk about there. The starters. And I'm just going to read off some some interesting names, and we can react to any if you want or not, because we should try to move this quickly. But Ken Waldachuk, sort of the opposite of Strom and Gore. He went from a sub-4 FIP to a 3.88 to 4.38. That is a Huge jump in Waldachuk's FIP projection. Tyler McGill, 3.62 to 3.98. Brandon Fat 3.78 to 4.06. Blake Snell, 3.35 to 3.63. Um, Madison Bumgarner, 4.89 to 5.16. John Gray, 3.78 to 4.01. Some of these guys, like, Bumgarner is bad. He was going to be bad, and he is bad. Brandon Fott, like, I'm not, I'm just... I'm not that worried about the projection with him. We haven't seen him in the bigs yet. And he's playing in a a, a horrible environment for pitchers where he is right now. So I'm I'm sort of taking that all with a grain of salt. Waldachuk, Snell, like those are the two names in this list that I'm like, ooh, that sort of hurts. Yeah. Real quick on Fott. I mean, I'm with you. I the, the concern about Fott was home runs, right? And he gave up four in his first start of the season. He hasn't given up a home run in his last three outings. So I, I'm I'm just more excited about him. I'm not worried about that. Snell is the one that like hurts, right? And I know that hurts you yeah. and me. Um, so you're both in on him. It's just like 
is this just Blake Snell now? Are we just going to get streaks of like ridiculous walk rates? And then eventually at some point in the season, he's going to rattle off a stretch a month or two of a crazy strikeout rate and cutting down on the walk. So like, I, I don't know if there's that much to say about Blake Snell because what are you doing with him right now? Maybe if you have a $14 Blake Snell and you really need money, you're cutting him. But like you're risking cutting a guy who could look like a Cy Young for a few months. So I think you're just holding on. No one's buying him even in the current state of pitching. Um, he's just he's just a disappointment so far. And I don't know if there's much you can do with him. Yeah, I, I have Snell in that CBS league that I was just talking about. I have him for $3. And it's like, I sort of wish he was more expensive because if he were more expensive, <laughs> I could yep. move on, justify cutting him. But it just, it feels like at some point he's got to get right. I just, I don't know. While the Chuck, meanwhile, um, I think I'm just sort of moving on. Yeah, I, me too. Like he just hasn't been impressive at all. And, you know, even you go back and look at like his AAA numbers with, uh, with New York last year, 47.2 innings, he was walking over 11% of hitters. That got a lot better when he went to Oakland. But like, I don't know. I look back at his track record and I'm like, I get why people were excited. I get the talent, but I just, I don't know. I'm not seeing the type of upside I'd still want to see. Like as an example, another another pitcher who I, I sort of have equated with Waldachuk because they came up a, on a similar timeline and is, is Hayden Wozneski. And I am holding on to Wesneski. I just, I, he's at least shown some signs of stuff. I think the upside is higher. And Waldachuk, I'm just like, you know what? I, I, I can't keep waiting around. Yeah, I'm, I'm out on Waldachuk until he shows us absolutely anything at the major league level. I will say with Wesneski, um, I think he has a pretty light two start week next week. I'm looking at what his two step is supposed to be next week. And so that would be a, a determining factor for me. I'm at least holding on to him for uh, the next period. Uh, let's see. I've got it right here. Weston, yeah, he's got the Nationals in Washington, and then he's got Miami at home. So if are you he, putting him in your lineup? I, I So for this particular, this is Fantrax League listener one, and I can't because I'm not taking out Beaver. Gore has a good two-step. Kirby has been nasty, and he gets Oakland. Mason Miller has a, t- so maybe, I don't, so, I mean, maybe we can figure this out right now to end the show. I'll set my okay. roster for next week. Right now, Mason Miller has two starts. One is against Seattle and then the other is at Kansas city. So like that could be pretty nice, even though he, his last outing was not great. And then I've got Wes Nesky who's at Washington and at home against Miami. I'm beginning to think I'm going to put Wes Nesky in over Mason Miller, even though I spent like a third of my fab in this league on Mason Miller. Yeah, Miller. Seattle, Miller, Seattle, and Kansas City. Um, it's pretty good. I mean, the I, I think the the question. Well, we don't have. Yeah, we only have five spots. Nick Lodolo hasn't been great lately, and only has one start it against the, the White, White Sox. Sox they and at home, so much. Yeah, they strike out so much, but that also like the White Sox hitting six home runs in that game wouldn't be a total surprise either. <laughs> Right? As long like, as they're Eloy, I'll be happy. <laughs> yeah. So that's an interesting one. I don't know. I mean, Bieber's got the Yankees. And like, you don't want to sit Bieber and the Yankees really haven't been that great. So yeah, I'm not, I almost I never know. sit my studs. I don't think I'd ever sit Shane Bieber. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I don't think you can. Yeah, it's a tough call. I'm looking um, at. Chicago strikeout rate right now. I want to see where that's at. 
because Lodolo, yeah. even as he's pitched poorly, he has still been struck. You know what? The White Sox aren't nearly as bad as I thought. It's a 23.6%. So in Great American, maybe I will while he's cold. Uh, just get as many starts as I can as I try to make up ground. I think I'm in fifth in this league. So I will put in Wes Neske over Lodolo that for next sense. week. Yeah, get the I extra starts. So with that, I think we have covered everything we can cover here. Yeah. Anything else you want to mention? Anything else we should we should hit before we hit the 90 minute mark and call it a day? Uh, no, I guess to, to, to finish up there on West Nesky, the point was if he does pitch poorly, he's now a cut for me um, because that's that's as light as the this, schedule. This is it. Get. This is his last yeah. shot. This, yeah. is, this is all right. You're on notice, Hayden. Hope you're paying attention. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. Uh, hope you enjoyed this. Let us know if you got questions about any of these players or any other players. Again, on Twitter, you can find us at Keeper Cut. You can find Pete at Pete B Baseball. You can find me at Chad Young. And we will be back with you next week.